1: The professional's choice what's up HVAC people so the people up north are gonna feel me on this one you deal with snow shoveling it snow blowing it it's a pain in the ass everybody knows that that deals with it if you don't deal with snow you're gonna learn something on this podcast episode regardless because what we're gonna talk about here is snow melt systems for driveways for patios, we see this in office buildings, condo buildings, we see this in higher-end homes or customized homes using hydronic heating. We are pumping hot water or glycol, probably a glycol mix, water mix, underneath that patio, underneath that driveway to melt the snow so we don't have to shovel it, so we don't have to snow blow it. So we have Tony first from Armstrong Fluid Technologies with us. Super knowledgeable guy, great storyteller. Okay, you're going to learn a lot on this episode. I did. So this is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and I'm going to big up their training again. I'm going to another training on this coming Wednesday. I mean, by the time you listen to that, this podcast is not really going to matter when Wednesday is, but I'm going to a training on heat pumps, right? residential heat pumps. Which I think is going to be a good one because they're all the rage these days, and they seem to be going into more homes than not, and even even high-rise buildings, condo buildings, office buildings, everything. So heat pump training for me, and it's put on by the Master Group. They got a ton of training guys. Just reach out to your rep and ask them what kind of training they offer, so you can get educated up. Check out master.ca. This podcast is sponsored by Centos, as we've been talking about and discussing. At the opening of these shows, they are a major player in the blue-collar uniform game. They got rentals, they got Carhartt, they got stretchy, breathable material. I've been wearing that kind of stuff. I've been wearing their stretchy, breathable material as samples. And they're comfy. And they fit nice. Okay, So if you're looking for uniforms for your team, even washing services for your team, uniform washing services, reach out to Cintas. We have a landing page. It's Cintas.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all.
0: Welcome to the HVAC know-it-all podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry, discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show.
1: All right, Tony, you are back for another round. And I think this is going to be another good one because we're going to talk about something that a lot of people are starting to implement people that I would say people that have money in, in residential applications, but that doesn't mean we can't pursue that type of work if, if we have that type of customer. But also as we mentioned on the last podcast, which I didn't even think about like condo buildings and stuff that want to melt their, uh, the ice from their driveways or ramps down to the underground and stuff like that. Uh, so that's what this conversation is about is melting systems for driveways or even patios. I've seen it where uh, people have patios in their backyard and want to use them in the winter time, and they have melting systems and they have like patio heaters out there. I don't know if they're doing functions in the winter, but they've also got it for their patios out, out, out in the back, the back of the house.
0: Yeah. If, to be real honest, if I look at snowmelt systems and I've done a lot of commercial snow melt systems for You know hospitals and parking garages and you know places like that um but i'm starting to see it more and more in the residential market um one in you know like you said in the condo market but i'm also seeing it in the high-end residential homes because Mm -hmm. um quite frankly people hate shoveling snow
1: yep and (laughs) And if you have um, money, what, you either pay someone to shovel it or you pay someone to not have snow there in the first place.
0: <laughs> right. Well, and the, the downside to just shoveling it is that even if you shovel it off, there's still a layer of snow there. And over a day or two, it turns into ice. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you've got a driveway that's got a pretty good incline to it, now, that could be a problem. Yeah. The the other thing, and this is the reason a lot of buildings are going to snowmelt and a lot of people like snowmelt systems, is it's a safety issue. You know, in today's rather litigious society, um, you know, somebody slips and falls on your driveway because you didn't get rid of all the snow and ice on it. You know, you're liable to get a lawsuit. So, uh, snowmelt has gained a, a fairly high degree of popularity. And so, you know, there are different types of snowmelt systems out there. There's, um, of course, there's the the most common type is um, using, you know, some type of PEX, PEX-AL, PERT, or EPDM tubing um, in, in loop fashion, in underneath the, the pavement. Um, the the other one is there's uh, a couple of companies make an electric snow melt mat that goes under that gets embedded in the concrete or in the paving um, to use as a snow melt system. Now,
1: now I look, don't, can can I, I I wanna I wanna I wanna bring something up there. Those cause I know people that have had mats underneath their tile flooring in their bathroom or in a kitchen or something like that. And they've had problems with it where there basically there's there's a short or something inside or basically it it loses all continuity through the heating pad and you're 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 screwed you don't have you got to rip your whole tile up to to replace that mat but hydronic is a little bit different like i've i've i'm going to knock on wood here i've yet to hear of somebody reporting that they've had a hydronic leak underneath their their floor or their driveway or something and had to fix it but I've heard stories where the electrical side, the electric mat or whatever they're using ha- has got an open circuit and it won't heat anymore.
0: Yeah. And and that's the downside to the electric systems is if you, if you look at the wire, the, the basically heating element wire, um, it's a very fine wire. Um, and so it's really easy to break mm-hmm. and, you know, um, I I know guys that have broken heating mat wire just by troweling um, the uh, thinset down to, to lay ceramic tile. Um, so, you know, that's the downside to the electric mat systems. Um, you know, and if you're bearing it in concrete, if you get a short in it or you get a break in the tubing, it's or the, the, the wire, how are you going to find it? I mean, at Mm -hmm. least with a hydronic system, um, you can use geophones um, that there are ways to determine where your leak is in your tubing and you can bust up the concrete in that one spot, fix the tubing and go on about your life. Um, Still a pain, but it's it's a repairable system, whereas the mat, you're busting up the entire driveway to repair the mat. So I'm not a huge fan of the electric snowmelt systems now. I suppose if you had, you know, a small area, you know, like maybe just your front door, right outside your front door, eh, the electric might not be a bad deal. Um, but I would, I, I would not be comfortable doing an entire driveway uh, in, in electric snowmat. Um, yeah. just, just from that. And that's my personal opinion. I'm not saying anything. So any of your listeners, you know, are really tied to the electric systems, more power to you. Um, but I'm not a big fan of them. So we look at snow melt systems. Okay, the the first thing we got to think about is, you know, you've got tubing underground. Um, it's not really underground. It's it's embedded in the concrete. Um, but the whole idea is you got to minimize your heat loss from your tubing between where it exits the building and where it starts into the snowmelt system, you know, because that that pipe may go underground for a period of time before it gets to where it's connected to the driveway. Um, So you got to make sure that piping is insulated and you need to make sure you get an insulation that's approved for underground use. Um, You know, there are different, materials that you can use to insulate the piping. Um, The other thing to look at is think about it. You're you're putting this snow melt tubing in in the ground um, and you're putting it in. uh, There's a couple different ways of doing it. Uh, You know, of course you're going to have your gravel down and there are two schools of thought about whether the tubing needs to be insulated um, under the wire mesh or not. Now, I think it really depends on your ground temperatures, what kind of frost uh, you get during the winter, you know, how deep is the is the frost line in the winter wintertime? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I both live in northern climates. So you know, we can get a pretty good frost line in in our area. Um, so in those cases, what I really like to see is one inch foam board you know, you put, get your gravel. You know, they get the gravel base all built. Then a layer of one-inch foam board, then your wire mesh, then your tubing, and then your you know three and a half, four inches of concrete goes on top of that. Um, and the one thing everybody needs to realize is when the tubing is in the is laid out on the on the wire mesh and tied so it's not trying to coil back up. Um, When before you pour the concrete, or as you're pouring the concrete, you got to lift the wire mesh up and bring the tubing up just a little bit. You want it in about the middle of your pour, so it's about halfway up into the pour. So you got concrete all the way around the tubing, Um, and that's so you get good even heating. So let's look at our installation a little bit. Depending on the heat density, and I'm not gonna go through sizing a snowmelt system um, necessarily. Um, but when, when I look at um, my tubing, um, and I space my tubing out for my different loops, and by the way, when I look at a driveway, that entire driveway is not one continuous loop, it's multiple loops that come back to a manifold
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Same, same, same concept we'd use if we were designing a hot water radiant system in a house you know you have multiple loops serving areas depending on how big the, the areas are and that's to minimize your piping pressure your pump pressure losses in your zones so that each set of tubing or each group of tubing is about the same pressure loss um, So you know if each loop is 200 feet long you try to get all of them the same. So it takes some thought and planning when you lay it out to get your tubing laid out that way. Um, but you want your tubing spaced anywhere from 6 to 12 inches apart between rows. Um, and you can do 6, 9, or 12. Any one of the three works really well. It's a lot depends on the density that you need. Um, and your load calc will tell you what that density needs to be based on your normal average outdoor temperatures and snowfall and all that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, um, you want your tubing. So to give you an idea, if you've got a four inch slab, you want your tubing two inches below the surface of the concrete. Um, that way you don't wait too long. You know, it doesn't take too long to heat that mass up, but it's also protected when it's in that way. Um, and I don't know if you're seeing a lot of um, paver stone driveways. We have them all over the place here and in other parts of the country. Um,
1: not, I don't see, honestly, I don't see too many. And I think the biggest downfall of that is like, is you get all the seeds floating around in the air. They land in between the cracks. If it's not done right, you get all the weeds and the plants growing up from, and it's just one of those things that, you, you got to really maintain properly or else you're going to get, you're going to get that. You got to fill it with that. Like I got some pavers in my backyard. I got a patio patio area and I, I mm-hmm. every, every spring I brush in, I can't remember the name of the type of sand, but you brush it in to the cracks and and you slightly wet it and it hardens and it stops any of the, the seedlings and stuff in the air from landing in the cracks and growing out.
0: Yeah. So, the the uh, polymeric sand.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, but if you do have a paver system where you've got a paver driveway or a paver walkway and you want snowmelt on it, um, you want you want the tubing embedded in the sand, okay? And you want about an inch of sand above the tubing um, so that the pavers themselves don't rub against the tubing. Because mm-hmm. uh, unlike a concrete slab, you know, each individual paver moves. So yeah. you don't want it rubbing against the, the pavers themselves. Um, and the one exception to this.
1: If we're brazing up a heat sensitive device, back in the day, we would use wet rags soaked in water. innovation kicks in over the years. There's a product that I have used religiously for four or five years now, and that's a Viper wet rag. It's a putty. You wrap it around the heat sensitive device, reversing valve, TX valve. Before you braze it up, it protects it really, really well. Okay, and then you just gotta clean it up. Some people have said, hey, it sticks to the pipe. What I do is I take the big blue. It's it's out anyway for pressure testing. I spray it on and I take my wet rag, like my actual rag, and I just wipe it down. And that's it. Cleanup is is over. So check out Wet Rag if you're looking to protect devices. Rapid locking system. Innovation at its finest as a brazing alternative. We just talked about brazing And and heat protecting. Now with Rapid Locking System, we don't need to heat protect anything. We don't need to flow nitrogen. We don't need to carry around tanks and torches. We just press the fittings in once they're prepped the proper way. So if you're looking for a brazing alternative, check out Rapid Locking System. Last but not least, JB Warranties is a warranty program outside of the OEM manufacturer's warranty. And what they do is provide a warranty peace of mind outside of that. So 10-year Heat exchanger warranty, you want 15 years. That other five years or beyond that can be covered by JB Warranties. They also cover labor, labor reimbursements up to $300 an hour and 14-day turnaround time on claims. So check out JB Warranties if you're looking for peace of mind for your customers.
0: Is, you know, to burying the pavers in the concrete or in the sand is if you have an asphalt driveway. Uh, Because, yes, you can do snow melt under asphalt, um, but the tu- the tubing has to be in the gravel base underneath the asphalt, whatever you do, don't bury the tubing in the asphalt. Cause when they lay the asphalt on top of it, it will melt. Um, the other thing to note is that asphalt has about half the conductivity of concrete. Didn't know whether you knew that or not, but no, asphalt's not as conductive. So the system has to run hotter. Uh, typically a snow melt system for asphalt, we're running up around 160 degree, uh, supply water, uh, whereas a conventional, you know, concrete snow melt system, we're down around 100 a 130. Um, so you kind of need to keep that in mind.
1: Yeah. And I was going to bring that up the temperature at which we need to maintain that loop at to melt the ice. So like what? Average, averagely speaking, if we're gonna if we're gonna run our boiler system, our boiler loop at 130 degrees Fahrenheit, what temperature are we keeping that driveway surface at? Like, how well, how much above freezing do you think we, we should be to mitigate snow and ice collecting on it?
0: Okay, so the the key to controlling snow melt systems is they don't run all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, you only turn them on when you know there's gonna be snow. Um, And you gotta make sure, and this is the key to it, is you gotta turn it on before the snow starts. If it doesn't come on until after the snow has already started, you're done. You've lost the battle at that point, okay? So, you know, think back to way back when you were a young apprentice just starting out and you were learning HVAC. And you remember the amount of heat energy it takes to take a pound of water from, or a pound of ice from a from thirty-two degree ice to thirty-two degree water.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, it's one hundred and forty-four BTUs per pound, right? Well, if I wait until it starts snowing and I get a layer of snow on the driveway, I can't shove enough heat into that concrete to melt that snow off. I've got to get the driveway heated up. Before it starts to snow and you're only trying to get the driveway to somewhere around 38 degrees, maybe 40, you know, you're not trying to make it. I mean, you're not trying to make it so that you can go out and lay on it in your shorts and T-shirt and be comfortable. Um, It's not a sauna. So, um, you know, we just want it just warm enough that when the snow hits it, that it melts off and it will dry um, once the snow quits falling. Um, yeah. So that it, you know, melts it off and it dries and it doesn't form ice. Mm-hmm. So the key to it is is having the right control system. So if the snow melt system doesn't come on any sooner than it needs to, so that you don't have to remember to turn it on. Yeah, and there's, mean, there's sensors.
1: There's... For, there's sensors for that, right? That'll detect water or wetness, kind of, well, on there... the on, on the surface of the driveway.
0: Well, there's yeah, there's a snow sensor, and there's a couple of different types. Um, there's there's reflective types. Uh, I've done some commercial buildings uh, where they look down at the the concrete surface, and and based on when it's wet, it's got more reflectance. Um, but the better systems, and, and most of the newer ones are this way. Um, they also they're Wi-Fi connected, and so they go out and gather the weather report, and mm determine when it's going to snow, you know, based on the weather report, you know, if it says, Hey, there's a 10% chance of snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The snowmelt system may not come on, but if there's a 30 or 40% chance of snow, the snow melt system may come on in anticipation of the snow. Um, so, Probably some
1: techs out there wondering if they can do that with their ecobee stat.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that ecobee would necessarily be the <laughs> yeah. stat you could do that with.
1: Um, I know. I'm just, I'm just kidding
0: the the one i'm most familiar with is the system by techmar um, and they make a lot of the, they make a lot of really cool boiler controls and zoning controls and all that and they have a really nice uh, snowmelt control module um, that you can tie into the system and it it will put the snowmelt system on and if it needs to readjust the the boiler water set point to accommodate the snow melt system it'll do that because it'll integrate back into the boiler controls um and it looks at pavement temperature it looks at outside air temperature it looks at and it goes and gathers weather data and uh, takes all this information and then decides how to run the snow melt system so it runs it at optimum efficiency You know, because the last thing we want to do is run a snowmelt system and suck up all those BTUs um, when we don't have to, because they can Mm -hmm. be expensive to run. I mean, think about it. If you turn that snowmelt system on November 1st and let it run through May 1st, um, you know, how much energy would you cost yourself just trying to keep your driveway warm?
1: exactly yeah so a a control system that senses snow or knows when snow is coming would it, it almost should be mandatory it shouldn't just be you install it and and you just run it and maintain your driveway temp at 38 degrees all year that just that doesn't make sense to anybody
0: right well in here in the us um that is mandatory um there we have stuff in the energy conservation code that specifically mandates You can't do that. Um, But, you know, the problem is there's snowmelt systems that have been installed for years before the current energy code is in place. So, you know, to to everybody out there listening, you know, if you're a service guy and you're servicing somebody's, you know, boiler system and they've got a snowmelt system and it was installed 30 years ago, it probably doesn't have those high-end controls on it. So... You really ought to be thinking about talking to your customer and saying, Hey, look, you know, we ought to update your controls for your snowmelt system. And here's why. And here's what it's going to help you do. It's going to help, one, it's going to help lower your utility bills, but two, it's going to minimize the chances of somebody forgetting to turn the snowmelt system on. You know that's the that's that one's bad because you, you're gonna you're gonna play catch up and you're you're gonna be hard pressed to get there, but two, you know what happens if it snows in the middle of the night and you get up in the morning and you walk out and your driveway's covered in snow and your snow melt system didn't come on, mm-hmm. you know now you're now you're shoveling and you spent all yeah. this money for a snow melt system and it didn't do you any good, so you know part of being a a top flight service guy is being able to look at your customers and help educate them. You know, we all too often get wrapped up in fixing the problem and making the equipment work, but we kind of forget that we're the experts and part of being the expert is to counsel and educate our customers into what they should be doing.
1: And in order, in order for you to educate your customers, I just had a long talk, 20 minute talk with a customer tonight about changing out his furnace AC to a heat pump system and going dual fuel. And I had to get educated up on this stuff. Like I've done training courses, I've read articles, I've gotten emails from people with um, analytical stuff and and without getting me myself educated on it, I can't educate the customer. So it, it's it, it's got to start with the the tech or the company owner uh, or whoever's running the company. Get educated, get your techs educated. Then you can go out and educate your customer. Because if we don't get educated first, we're 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 essentially gonna discuss this with our customer and not give the right information type thing. We might know a little bit about it, and we've all been in a room with somebody that knows a little bit about something, but they're acting like an expert and you, and you just kind of (laughs) like squinting your eyes at that person going, I don't think you really know what you're talking about here, but it all starts with that education with, with us and then to the customer. Right. Right.
0: Well, and, and this is the thing. And, you know, I, I, I've known a lot of service guys over my, over my career and the best ones out there, um, yes, they're good mechanics and yes, they can, you know, they can fix whatever it is, you know, they've, they've set their life ambition on be it, you know, chillers or boilers or rooftops or, you know, kind of covering the whole gamut. But the best ones out there are the ones that aren't afraid to share the knowledge that they have either with their peers or with their customers. You know, because, At the end of the day, being a really good, well-respected service guy is all about your customer having faith in you and trusting you to do the right thing for them.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And and part of that right thing is being able to educate them, being able to help them look at their system and go, okay, this is how we can help you save energy. This is how we can help you reduce your operating costs, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's a steam system or a boiler system or a chiller system, or you you know even air handling units. It's looking at the system, and being able to counsel them and how to make their system run better, mm-hmm. and that's always a challenge. Yeah, um, and, and you got to stay abreast of the technology. Um, you know, I can think back to. Uh, the stone age, when I first started out, um, and according to my kids, I started out when, you know, I, I went to school, we had stone tablets. So, you know, that's according to my kids. Um, not quite that bad, but we did have slide rules. Um, we started out, you know, we had pneumatic controls and everything was constant speed and constant flow. And we had three-way valves everywhere. And so systems were different and we've gotten smarter over the years. We've moved to two-way valves. We've moved to variable speed pumps. We've moved to variable speed chillers. we you know, I can think back 10, 15 years ago, we had boilers that were on off. I don't know. I don't know when the last time I saw an on off boiler was. Um, you know, they, they just don't they're not out there anymore. Everybody's got some type of burner modulation system to match the firing rate to the load
1: Mm -hmm. so you know you know what i want to i want to sort of take that conversation i've been thinking about something as i talk here and we started the conversation off with saying that yeah we're seeing (laughs) snow melt systems in high-end residential but i'm thinking in my head there's i've seen a lot of people interested in wall mount boilers to heat their home with either with a hydronic coil or 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 something along those lines. So more and more people are going this this route with putting a wall mount boiler on the wall, either to heat their homes or for domestic hot water. So let's say we have some capacity left in our wall mount boiler that's already there. And this is just the average home, 2,000 square feet or 2,500 square feet. And it's a middle-class family. They're not rich or anything, and they don't have tons of money. But let's say they're ripping up their driveway to redo it, and they've already got a wall mount there with some capacity on it. Do you think it's it's an option at that point to to do a snowmelt system? And just because if, if you're ripping up your driveway anyway, you've already got it there. You've got some capacity uh, on your wall mount boiler. All you got to do now is run some tubing like on the driveway underneath what, where your driveway is going to be laid What do you think about that scenario?
0: Well, I think it has possibilities. It depends mm-hmm. entirely on how much reserve capacity you have in your boiler system. Yeah, and if your boiler's sized correctly, you really shouldn't have any res- have that much reserve capacity.
1: Yeah, but who sizes um, things correctly these days? <laughs> every, every, everything, because from from my knowledge, a wall mount boiler, um, the smallest. Because I had this conversation with someone from from Iflow about this. So the, the smallest wall mount modulating wall mount boiler was hundred thousand BTUs. But let's say it's a it's a small home and it only needs half that capacity. For instance. Right.
0: Right. So, so theoretically, yes, you could have reserve capacity. Now the thing you got to be careful with is remember snowmelt system is going to be glycol. Okay. Either yeah. Propylene glycol. And I prefer true. propylene because yeah. that way if it leaks out. It's not an environmental disaster. Okay. Um, so I like, I like propylene glycol. Um, you got to look at the concentration of glycol you're going to have in the system. Um, so you may be, you know, you may be as little as 25%, but you may be as much as 40%, depending on where you're at in the world. Um, you know, you and I are in fairly similar climate conditions. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're probably in the 30 to 35% range. But, yeah. you know, you, you move further north in Canada, um, the, the winters get a lot nastier. And, and then, you know, the design temperatures are, you know, starting to approach the below zero range so you got to think about what you're going to protect that snowmelt system to because it is all outside i mean that all that tubing is outside um you know even if it's a, even if it's embedded in the concrete if the system fails you got to protect it because it will freeze
1: yeah and and obviously my mind is going to like obviously we need the glycol so we don't freeze the, 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 the mixture, or if it's just water, we don't freeze it. So we need the glycol. So if it's a domestic hot water system, obviously we can't do that. But what if, what if there's an implementation of a heat exchanger, would that work you think?
0: Yes. So if you have, if you have a combi boiler that is domestic hot water and heating hot water, you can put a secondary heat exchanger in, Um, to heat either the domestic or the heating hot water, depending on which way you want to, where you want to put the heat exchanger. Um, So you could do the same thing for snow melt. And the thing you got to remember though, if you put a heat exchanger in and one side of the heat exchanger is domestic and the other side is your snow melt, that heat exchanger has to be a double wall heat exchanger. So that if there's a leak, it leaks to the atmosphere, not to, not across the plates mm-hmm. into the other side of the fluid. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so you lose a little bit of efficiency when you do that, uh, but it's not huge uh, when you have a double wall, cause you got a little bit of it, you know, you've got a really slight air gap between the plates. Um, now one thing, and um, there's, a new, there's a newer type of glycol on the market today, Um, and it's, and you can get it in propylene or ethylene. Um, and it's called Hydro MX. And I learned about this stuff two or three months ago. Um, it's been out on the market for several years. It was invented overseas. Um, I'm assuming, you know, what nanoparticles are.
1: Nanoparticles, like very, very small particles.
0: (laughs) Yes. Smaller than grains of sand. Yeah. Um, so what they figured out was is if you think about heat transfer, heat transfer is all about surface area, right? The mm-hmm. more the surface area, the more heat transfer we can get. Well, the problem we put glycol in a system, and be it snow melt, be it chilled water, be it hot water, we lose heat transfer efficiency. We got to increase our flow rates and we lose capacity because the glycol doesn't transfer heat as well as plain water does. So, this product called Hydro-MX with nanoparticles in the glycol, um, it basically increases the surface area, because now you've got all these particles in there, and so you get greater heat transfer. So, what it amounts to is, if I put Hydro-MX 30% propylene glycol in a chiller, normally I get about a 25% D-rate on the refrigeration side in the chiller. And the same happens with a boiler. I get about a 20 to 25% D rate in the boiler capacity. with putting glycol in. If I put hydro MX in instead, I have zero D rate. Interesting. Yeah. The stuff is really cool. I, I will have to send you, I'll send you some information on it so you can read up on it. Um, but I'm looking at it and this stuff is just, it's way too cool. It is, it is a new product. It's been out for a number of years. um, it was invented, I want to say it was invented in Finland or Sweden or someplace across the pond. Um, but it's some really cool stuff. And so if we, you know, this goes to, you know, counseling our customers. If they got a glycol system, how do we make it more efficient? Because I can't take the glycol out. Um so, hey, back to snowmelt. You know, we kind of, kind of drifted a little bit there. Um, when we look at snowmelt, so we've got, you know, we've got our boiler, we've got piping going out to feed our snowmelt. We got to put a manifold someplace, right? Where are you gonna put the manifold? Um, you don't want it serviceable because you got to be able to get to it because you got to be able to purge each individual loop and get all the air out and all that kind of stuff because all the same basics for hydronics haven't changed any just because we're melting snow outside. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I really like, um, they make valve boxes for sprinkler systems. It's just a fiberglass box that you dig a hole in the ground, you mount the fiberglass box and the, the valves for the sprinkler system would go inside this box so you can get to them. Yeah. Well, they work really well for snowmelt manifolds because okay. you can put your manifold in the ground you know keep all your tubing you know your mains and everything underground you put the manifold down in the snow in this box and the box is level with the grass so you don't really see it because um, your other option is is to put the manifold inside the garage someplace or you know put it on the outside of the house and then have to build something over it um, and I guess if you're spending that kind of money on a house, Burying it underground and making it look better is probably not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, and it also makes it makes it easy because that way you've got a way to get to all your zones, and you know if you're if you're doing a good job of installing the system, you've got isolation valves for each zone. So God forbid something happens to one of your loops, you can valve it off and at least keep the rest of the system running throughout a winter until you can get back in in the springtime and, you know, bust up the concrete and repair whatever loop got damaged. Mm -hmm. So things to, things to think about. Um, Yeah, but you know, when look at, when look at snowmelt, it's the, the, the keys, the the real key takeaways here to snowmelt is, you know, understanding how to operate it and operate it efficiently. um, and understand that you you really can't turn it on after there's you know six inches of snow on top of it. You're just you're going to be there forever. Um, it's just you know the basic law heat transfer. is, you know it'll do it. It'll melt it, but it's going to take forever. Because um, one of the problems that happens is you start to melt it from the bottom up, and if you're not careful, it'll it'll refreeze as you're going along. You start building ice up, and it'll make this layer of ice on your driveway instead of. Getting rid of the snow would have turned it into a skating rink.
1: Yeah, I no, I I totally agree. What what I could see myself doing is is cranking if if it did snow, cranking it up, cranking the temp up, and going outside and snow blowing or shoveling, while I crank that temp up. And as after I'm done shoveling, then the driveway is nice and warm. You yeah. might see some ste- steam start <laughs> coming off of it at, at that point, right? Because
0: yeah. And that's the key to it is, is, is understanding that, you know, if you forget to turn it on, you got to get some of the snow off of it. Uh, Cause it's not going to melt off six inches of snow. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what you yeah, guys yeah. normally get for snow, but you know, if oh. I get two inches of snow. It's, you know, unusual.
1: Yeah. We've the first year that I lived where I am now, it's actually North it's, it's, it's in a snow belt area and we had, piles of snow on our front lawn that were as tall as me after snow blowing and shoveling for the, the entire season. And oh. that was that was one of the worst snow years we've had in the Toronto area. This was about eight, nine years ago. and we're saying to ourselves, where in the world did we move? Like where where did we move to? It was literal, <laughs> it was literal walls of snow as you walk down the sidewalk. On the boulevard area, like on the city side, it was mm-hmm. six feet high. On everybody's front lawn it was six feet high so you're walking through like literal walls of snow it was crazy it was like when you go for a walk at night with a dog or whatever it's super silent because the snow was just kind of muffling all of the cars and the people and it, it, it was it was very it was very strange but anyway I, I guess as long as we have a proper control system and we have the proper sensors involved we'll never forget to turn it on because it will automatically turn on for us
0: right right because you know you're going to have a sensor embedded in the concrete that's going to tell you the concrete temperature um and that's by the way that's one of the things to be careful of if you're the one installing the system and and you put your concrete sensor in don't bury it in the concrete right next to one of the tubes because it will fake it out yeah um, you know, you want it away from the tubes and, and most of the installation instructions tell you, you know, how far away you need to be from a tube or away from the edges. Cause you don't want to be out against the edges, uh, cause the edges will run colder. Um, then, you know, than it will in the center. Uh, you, you kind of need to think about your layout and what the driveway looks like and figure out a good average location for it. Um, And, you know, this is one of the things that's really cool about PEX tubing is because we can buy PEX in, you know, astronomical lengths, you can avoid having joints in your snowmelt system. Yeah. You know, way back when, you know, I think the very first snowmelt system I was ever involved in was, I was still working for my dad. Um, And it was all, okay can give you an idea how old this was, it was all welded steel tubing. In the concrete. Wow. And so, you know, that was the thing you always worried about was, you know, every place you had a weld was a potential leak. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that was always one of our big concerns is, you know, knowing where the welds were. And we always created a map of the snowmelt system and marked on the layout where all the welds were. Because we knew if that's if it was going to leak at some point in time, the welds were the most likely place that it was going to leak. Yeah. So if we had a leak, we you know, okay, oh, hey, there's you know, we know where they're at, and we could measure it off and and start looking in that area to see if we could find it. Um, and geophones work really one really well to listen for underground leaks. It's basically, hmm. I don't, have you ever seen a set of geophones? They're really cool. I don't-
1: Um, i don't know but but is it similar to like ultrasonic leak detection almost in a way
0: um it's a lot more rudimentary than that okay um think of a stethoscope and it's two big huge hunks of brass that are concave on the surface side that you're going to put against the ground and then it's just got tubing that comes up to your ears you know like a stethoscope and you're listening for noise in the ground. Um, and that's, you know, that's really, it's old school, but it works. Um, Cause you can hear water running. I mean, you can hear the water running underground mm-hmm. um, and it works through earth. It works through concrete. It works through asphalt. Um, it may not pinpoint the leak exactly, but it'll get you really close. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they've got new ones out now that are ultrasonic and a lot fancier, a lot more high tech, but you know, the geophones work really well and they're relatively cheap.
1: Interesting. Cool. Well, hey, I want to end this off with something not even related to to, uh, to snow melts. Okay. And and the reason I want to do that is because I had a, an awesome conversation with a gentleman by the name of Aaron Gibson on the last episode that's not published yet, but it was all about mental health and and just ways to to help us through some tough times in the trade. Cause the trade can be tough and we work alone a lot. And, and today I had, I had a mental health day. I don't mean like I, I had, I was going crazy. I just did nothing. So yesterday I, 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 worked all day, um, around three cats, right. And I'm allergic to cats. So I had to take some allergy pills and, and I, I worked, busted my ass off, no lunch, no break. When I got home, I was done. And I knew like my body it, it was a good it was a good sign for me because i'm like hey you know what my body is sore and i'm tired more tired than i have been in a long time i've been burning both ends of the candle i've been trying to do this podcast thing i'm I, i'm in the middle of kind of sneak pre sneak peek here i'm in the middle of maybe changing my website to a, a better more modern website i'm doing that and doing all the other content stuff but i'm also trying to launch my business and grow it. well, it's a launch, but I'm trying to grow my my business, the service and and install side of the of things too. Mm-hmm. so today, i uh, I woke up because me and my wife have been kind of rotating, waking up with the kids and helping them get their lunch and breakfast and get packed and and off to school, right? So today I did that, and then I went straight back to bed. I didn't even turn my phone on. I kept my phone off all day till about three thirty, and I just slept all day. I went to bed last night at seven. I woke up at seven. So I had 12 hours of sleep. And then I went back to bed and slept till the kids got home basically. And man, I feel fabulous for doing that. So I just want to, you're not, you're not less of a man or less of a person or whatever. If you have to take a me day. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm taking a me day today. She went to work and did her thing. I said, I'm taking a me day, kept my phone off and slept all day. And I feel fabulous for doing that. And if I didn't do it, I'd still be on this downward hill to exhaustion and tiredness and maybe even getting a cold or flu or whatever, because my immune system is now compromised. So I just wanted to throw that out there for anybody listening. If you're in need of of a day to rest, don't feel like less of a man because we we all know how people are. Oh, you're not a man. If you do that, don't feel like less of a person. Um, Just, just, take a rest and take a break for yourself. That's, that's all I wanted to throw out there.
0: And, and you know, and Gary, you bring that up and I, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, you know, I work hard and, and I, i you know, like you, I, I work a bunch of hours and there's a lot of stress that goes with, uh, with the job. Um, but I, I recognize when I'm having one of those days and I make a conscious decision that, you know, I'm going to do something similar and I don't necessarily sleep. Um, what my, you know, my stress relief is I get out, and I go get on the motorcycle and I'll go ride. And, you know, it's just, you know, and I don't necessarily have a plan of where I'm riding. I just go ride. And um, I'm never worried about getting lost. That's what I got GPS for. I can find my way home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, that's right. um,
0: but it's, and when I go, when I do get on the bike, the phone is in the tour pack and I don't, you know, I don't listen to it. I don't answer it. I, it's off. Well, it's usually not off, off. Um, cause I've got, you know, my music playing when I'm on the bike, I've got, you know, I've got the Grateful Dead or somebody playing on the stereo on the bike. But, um, I do the same thing cause you have to, you have to just Find that way to mentally decompress. Otherwise, you will drive yourself into a state of oblivion and your health will suffer for it. Whether you know it or not, your career will suffer for it mm-hmm. and your relationships. And I'm not just talking about the one with your wife, but it with your wife, your friends, your kids, all of that will suffer. And mm-hmm. you have to remember that you got to take care of yourself.
1: No, a hundred percent. And that that's, I think we need to have more chat about mental health on, on this show and, 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 other people that have platforms just because it's one of those things. It's, it's taboo almost because people are afraid to expose their own, um, issues and because they're afraid to expose their own, it's kind of hush hush but mm-hmm. I think more people need to open up about it. And, and like I said, I talked to a gentleman, Aaron Gibson, super positive guy, he, his podcast, my podcast with him will be out soon and he suffers from PTSD and he talked some, talked about some ways that he's dealt with it. And, and he's a trades guy. He's been in the, the trade of HVAC for 20, 23 years or something like that, I believe. And, and we just had a really heartfelt conversation about it. And, and I think more of that needs to be done. So, as we end the show off i just wanted to bring it up and make sure everybody's aware hey if you're feeling if you're feeling at that at that breaking point i mean go take go do something for yourself whether it's sleep ride your motorcycle whatever it is that you need to do do it before yeah. you you go on the decline that's all i'm yeah.
0: saying yeah yeah i agree i agree with you 100% you 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 got to um because whether we want to admit it or not being in, and in it doesn't make any difference what your, what your trade is. This is tough work and mm-hmm. it can, it can wear on you. Um, yeah. You know, you have some long days, you're trying to get a customer system up and running and uh, it, it can beat the tears out of you. And, yeah. and it takes its toll. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the last thing we want to do is, is have people that, they can't get it under control. They they feel overwhelmed and they do something really bad and, you know, hurt themselves. And, and, and all that does is create lots of other problems for everybody they leave behind.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. So. All right. Well, I mean, Tony, another great conversation, uh, learning some stuff here on snow melting systems. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things. If, if you have a customer that, you know, that they're looking to, to throw some money around at, at their house, maybe that's something that you can offer up and say, Hey, listen, do you like shoveling snow? Snowmelt systems are great. Um, here's what they can do for you. Uh, and if they have some money, then, then potentially you can, you can, you can close a job for, for a snowmelt system. But yep. uh, like always, man, educational stuff and, and great talking with you.
0: Gary, it was great talking to you, my friend. And uh, we will talk to you soon, sir.
1: Perfect. Have a great night, Tony.
0: Yep, thank you.
1: All right, there it is. Another solid podcast conversation with Tony First from Armstrong Fluid Technologies. I learned a ton. If you're looking at driveway, patio, snowmelt systems, guys, this is where you start with education. And then you further that by researching more and talking to more people and doing a little bit more digging. And before you know it, I mean, you can get into them, right? I mean, hydronics is something that, I know a lot of HVAC techs look at, and they're, they're a little bit Im- intimidated by them, and I can understand why when you when you look at them, when you first look at a big, solid, large hydronic system, even for a residential uh, application, because there's so many zones and pumps and the piping's all over the place and this way and that way, but it all starts with education, guys, and that's what these podcasts are for, is to start the conversation and get educated up. But thank you once again, Tony. Thank you to the Master Group. I'm out. Happy HVAC.
0: Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.